This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the governor is looking for a new lottery secretary because the old one bailed after less than two months on the job. Visit Florida is looking for support of the legislature. The Tourism Marketing Agency will be abolished later this year if lawmakers don't act. A bill to increase penalties for bear poachers is headed for the House floor after clearing all of its committees. The same goes for a bill that says insurance companies cannot get access to your genetic information. On the Sunrise interview, we'll be chatting with Republican leader of the Florida House, who says his job is a bit like herding cats. This is Dane Eagle's final year in the House because of term limits, but he's running for a seat in the U.S. House of Representatives. We'll also have your daily political calendar, which is mercifully short because there's only one committee meeting in the state legislature today. We'll also have the automotive edition of Florida Man featuring the carjacker armed with a lighter and a DUI suspect busted with a load of poop in his pants. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, January 24th. The governor is looking for a new lottery secretary, again. Randall Hunt, who's been on the job less than two months, has called it quits. In his resignation letter to the Gov, Hunt says he and his wife decided it's in their best interest to focus on their growing family and pursuing new business opportunities. He was the owner and CEO of a national health and fitness chain called Athletic Apex before he accepted the lottery job. The Florida Lottery has more than 400 employees, and they did about $6.7 billion worth of sales during the last fiscal year. The Commerce Committee in the Florida House approves Representative Chris Sproul's bill that says your genetic code is off-limits to insurance companies. Since the advent of genetic testing, there have been concerns that insurers may discriminate against people who have genetic markers, indicating a risk of developing certain diseases or health conditions. Sproul says the companies already have access to your medical records, but your genetic code is something else entirely. This bill is about genetic privacy. This bill is about protecting our genetic code. The health insurers are already prohibited by state and federal law from asking for our genetic information. This bill extends that prohibition to life, disability, and long-term care insurance. That's what the bill does. What the bill doesn't do is prevent an insurance company, a life, disability, or long-term care insurance company, from gaining access to a medical diagnosis. There are many genetic markers out there for the BRCA gene and the FTO gene, which state that someone might have a propensity to get something, but not that someone has a medical diagnosis. Under this bill, if an individual has a medical diagnosis, that would be disclosed to the insurance company. What they would not have access to under this bill is our genetic code. For the duration of long-term care, life and disability insurance for the carriers, it's been a profitable industry and it's been affordable for, for consumers. And it's been affordable for consumers without access, without the use of genetic information. As we all know, the insurance industry is about spreading risk. It is not about guaranteeing a sure thing for the industry. It is about ensuring that it is affordable for consumers and that that risk is managed appropriately. And life insurance, long-term care insurance, and disability insurance should not just be for the genetically elite. The DNA privacy bill has cleared two House committees and is ready for the House floor. Now, Sprawls takes over as Speaker of the House next year, and this is the only bill he's filed this year, which helps explain why there hasn't been a single vote against it so far. A House committee votes to increase the penalties for bear poaching. There hasn't been a legal bear hunt in Florida since 2015, but that doesn't stop the poachers. They can make good money on the black market for bear bile and gallbladders used in traditional Asian medications. So Representative David Smith of Winter Springs wants to increase the penalties for poachers. House Bill 327, which deals with the illegal taking of bears, we're talking about poaching. 
Uh, we, the bill seeks to create a move it from a level two violation, which it currently is, to a level three violation. Bottom line, House Bill 327 puts bears on an equal level now with deer and turkey. It's hard to believe, but it's today, and when you can't hunt bears at all in the state of Florida, it's less of a criminal penalty to kill a bear than to take a turkey one day out of season. This bill just puts to them on an equal level with deer and turkey. I believe that uh, raising the fine from a maximum of $500 that, uh, and a one-year suspension, moving it to a level three violation, which is a minimum of a $750 fine and a three-year suspension, is a measured and reasonable approach to protecting the wildlife here in the state of Florida. Smith's bear bill has now been approved by three separate committees, and there hasn't been a single vote against it. Next stop, the House floor. Visit Florida is fighting for its life in the 2020 legislative session. Last year, lawmakers cut their budget and passed a sunset provision that eliminates the state's tourism marketing agency on October 1st if the legislature doesn't pass a new bill to revive it. Visit Florida's CEO Dana Young is trying to round up support in the legislature. They staged a huge lobbying effort at the Capitol this week to try to convince lawmakers to invest in tourism. She's also asking her board of directors to get the folks back home involved in that campaign. Our message was clear. We had more than 500 people here. Um, the meetings at the Capitol that individual constituents had with their elected representatives were very powerful and effective. And as you all go home, I, everybody says, we want to help. How can we help? I would like for you to, if you have uh, connections to your local chambers of commerce, uh, those are very powerful business groups. And to a person, they understand that what we're doing is important. So if you could get your uh, chambers back in your home cities and counties to write to the members of your local delegation and express their support uh, for what we do and for an eight-year reauthorization and appropriate funding for Visit Florida, that would be great. And we've had several county commissions pass resolutions uh, supporting long-term reauthorization and full funding for Visit Florida. Um, if you could ask your county commissioners if they were, are interested in, in doing that and supporting us, that would be great. Uh, we just can't let up. We're working every day uh, very hard to make sure that our message of incredible success and impact is known uh, throughout the Capitol and throughout state government. But uh, we can't let up. One small way they dealt with the budget cuts was to stop offering free OJ to visitors at the five official welcome centers run by Visit Florida. Bobby Cornwell with the Florida Association of RV Parks and Campgrounds says that was a big mistake. Part of those budget cuts included the orange juice, the free orange juice. Uh, that may seem very insignificant to some, but once you spend a day in the welcome centers, you find out that it's not such an insignificant service that Visit Florida and the welcome centers provide it. Uh, I wish all the legislators that were in favor of cutting the budget for Visit Florida could spend a day in there and just see the reaction from the visitors who stopped by. It was just um, upsetting to see all the visitors come in, and the first reaction from the majority of them was, where's the orange juice? <laughs> well, we've been coming here my whole life. I came with my parents, and it's been a family tradition, and they were really affected. And, like, I can't believe this is happening. How is this possible? I think David said the total uh, sponsorship amount uh, that would be required to do it again was around $200,000. Correct, David? Um, and it's, it's, it's mind-boggling to me that uh, you know, a company will not step forward and, and help sponsor that. It's, uh, you know, optics for one, 
first stop in the state and then to see that that's not available anymore, I think it's uh, had a very uh, lasting effect. Dana Young says they're already working to solve the orange juice crisis. We are in active talks with uh, one to two entities that may be willing to sponsor the orange juice program. I can't disclose that because we haven't finalized the the deal, but um, it's looking positive. But I want to highlight something. Um, so there is there is truly an outcry from the traveling public over the lack of orange juice at our welcome centers. What do you think the traveling public is going to do when we close them all? If we aren't reauthorized, they're closing, all of them. So food for thought. It's not just the welcome stations that would go away. Young says other states are already planning how to lure tourists if Florida stops its marketing program. But none of this seems to matter to House Speaker Jose Oliva, who has a philosophical problem with the idea of state money being spent on tourism marketing that benefits the private sector. And nothing that happened at the Capitol this week has changed that. No, I, look, I think statistically, uh, the evidence is the evidence. And we, we've talked about it at length. You know, whether it, at the end it continues or not, uh, I don't think that that will ever change my understanding of what the full role of marketing is and, and, and the amount of dollars that are involved in it and what role they play in that. But the governor and the Senate president support Visit Florida, so the agency will be a bargaining chip during final negotiations at the end of the legislative session. Next up, a conversation with Representative Dane Eagle. He's the majority leader in the Florida House and is term limited, but he has an exit strategy. It's called Congress. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. The Florida Hospital Association is inviting healthcare leaders from around the state for Hospital Day in the Legislature in Tallahassee on February 3rd and 4th. The summit will include a briefing in the chamber of the Florida House of Representatives, as well as provide meeting opportunities with key legislators. Members may register online at the Florida Hospital Association site at FHA.org. Again, please register at FHA.org. Welcome back to Sunrise. Our guest today is Representative Dane Eagle. He is the majority member of the majority leader of the Florida House of Representatives, which basically means what? Uh, well, good to be with you. It means that uh, I'm, I'm leading the 73 members of the Republican Caucus, or at least I try to. They're all independent thinkers, of course, so it's, sometimes it's like herding cats, but they're, they're all great individual members. We work together as a great team, and it's my job to work with them and the Speaker to make sure that we are passing the conservative agenda of the Florida House of Representatives. Talk to me about that agenda. What are what you would consider the conservative issues that are of highest priority this year? Well, and what we look at for the majority office is, is basically uh, kind of the litmus test, if you will, are the principles of less less spending, less taxes, less government, more individual freedom, uh, free market reform, and family values. So those are the things that we try to look at. So when we're looking at bills, every member gets six bill slots. Uh, some choose to fill them all, some don't. But when we look at those bills and whether we, the majority caucus, are going to endorse those and help them with them, they need to abide by those principles that we just discussed. What do you think of the hottest bills coming out of the majority party uh, I think some of the stuff when we look at health care, look, uh, it's no secret what the Speaker's priorities are. Uh, health care has been his number one agenda, and that's simply because our number one duty as a body, as a, as a legislative body, our constitutional duty is to balance a budget. And nearly half of that out the door is going straight to health care. So the more that we can reform that, provide free market reform to drive down costs and increase access and keep quality at least the same, if not better, then we're doing something great, and that's what we're continuing to push. Yeah, the Speaker also warned during his opening day speech that the policies we have now, the system we have now, is actually 
actually driving people to support the concept of socialized medicine. What can you do to fix it within the free enterprise model? And, and that's exactly right. I mean, you look at uh, healthcare as a whole, uh, and it's it's th- there's a coincidence uh, that uh, the thing that government's involved with the most healthcare is also the most expensive. It's because of the regulations. So in this era of Obamacare and the expansion of Medicaid and Medicare, quite frankly, too, which is you know supposed to be direct pay in and pay out, which has become a little bit of a broken system, uh, we've got government hands in everything. So these regulations, in our opinion, is what making it what's making it more socialistic. So we need to try to repeal some of those things. And we did so last year with certificate of need. We've got government granted monopolies for hospitals. At least that is now a thing of the past as we've uh, repealed that regulation. Some can come in and compete. And I think that's going to be a great thing. Uh, telehealth, being able to get on your iPad or whatever it might be to see your doctor for something that may be less threatening than a that requires a hospital or a, or a doctor's visit. Importation of prescription drugs, which President Trump is now pushing at the federal level. I mean, these are things that are free market reform and innovation that are chipping away at the socialistic um, industry of healthcare. And yet just yesterday, the speaker said he would not be in favor of a bill capping the price for insulin, which is a, a bill that's been introduced in the House and the Senate. What's It almost seems like a dichotomy. He wants to lower prices, but only in certain ways? Well, lowering prices through free market reform. Uh, capping something is not free market. That's an artificial barrier that government's putting in. That is another government regulation, which is exactly what we're trying to repeal. On the other hand, we need to repeal regulations, not add more. Is health care something that should be a for-profit industry? I think so. I think for-profit capitalism is not a bad thing. That is what this country is built on. And for some people to come in and say capitalism and making a buck is is wrong, that's incorrect. That is what has made this country strong. So when you have competition, though, within the capitalist market, uh, that is what is going to allow things to get better. You want to be able to compete with somebody. That's going to drive you to perfection. That's going to drive you to bring down your costs. Uh, It's going to drive you to be innovative. And that's what's going to help the end user, which is the recipient of the healthcare at the end of the day. So that's a great thing. But we also have this two-tiered system where if you're rich in this country, healthcare is, the, is wonderful. You can get anything, anytime, anywhere. If you're not, you're sometimes left you know, standing outside the emergency room door. How do we get a system that's fair for everyone, not just the folks who can afford you know, the Cadillac insurance? I think that goes back to repealing these regulations. Everybody deserves or should have affordable health care. And the reason they can't get it is because of the regulations. People that are on Medicaid today are sometimes worse off than they would be if they didn't have any Medicaid at all. If they didn't have Medicaid, they can go sit in the, in the emergency room and, and get that care. But if you're on Medicaid and you go through the doctor's process and you're on the waiting list to get your surgery, you might not get that surgery and now your life is at stake. Uh, that's the problem that we're seeing with this government-involved health care system. And the more we can repeal these barriers, the more we can get government out of the way and allow competition, the better it is going to be for everybody and the more affordable that health care will become for those people that can't afford it now. And does that include reining in the healthcare industry now? The speaker was pretty insistent about that. Yes, I think it does. I think it does. Look, uh, and he was also very um, pointed in saying that the people involved in the healthcare industry, they're not the bad guys. They are just subject to the system that they're working within. Doctors and nurses and the people that we all work with, hospital administrators, they all want the, the, the same thing, and that is for their, their practice to be successful and the patients they serve to get the best care possible. But the regulations that they're, they're working within are causing the problem. So I think we all need to come to the table and fix it collectively. After healthcare, what would you say are the next couple of items? Education. Uh, so that's the, 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 the first runner-up when it comes to our budget. Uh, the, the money out the door is going to healthcare, and next is education. And that's a good thing. Obviously, education is something that we shouldn't be invested in as a state. Uh, looking back to the, to the conservative principles, I think as a limited government, we should be investing in education, public safety, uh, and infrastructure. Those three things mainly beyond that, um, you know, let's have a discussion. But those are the three main things we should be looking at, in my opinion, government's duty as a state. So education, by far, that's something 
something that we need to focus on. But again, infusing those free market principles. And I think that's happening through school choice, allowing parents to decide what education their child should get, not government making that decision for them. And what's happening with getting rid of some of state government that we don't need? For example, the speaker's been very insistent about Visit Florida going goodbye this year. Is that going to happen? Well, that's a discussion that we'll have. Obviously, that takes uh, three people to three three chambers, if you will. Well, I shouldn't say three chambers, but the the House, the Senate, and then the governor's office, the three different uh, bodies, if you will, uh, that need to come to the table and have that discussion. The speaker's been very clear on his opinion on Visit Florida, uh, but we still have to uh, have that discussion with the governor and the Senate. So we'll see. It's still early in session. We'll see where that goes. But you really don't have to have that discussion. I mean, it sunsets October 1, and if the House does nothing, you basically have the have the controlling hand there. Yeah, yeah, well, you're right in that. If the House does nothing uh, but uh, if we want a budget to pass, we need to get together with the Senate, and they may have a say in that too. So we'll have to negotiate at the end of the day. That's, that's, that's a given. Now, looking on to what happens to Dane Eagle after the session, you have plans for Congress, do you not? I, I do, and those are fairly new plans as of October. I got married on October 1st, which was uh, thank you very much. And then this seat opened up about two weeks later, so my wife and I had a uh, strong discussion about both of our futures. Now I'm not making a decision for one, it's for two. Uh, but I, I love my district. I love the place that I grew up in, and that's the area I've represented for eight years, which has been the honor of my life. Uh, but to be able to continue, I think, is something that, uh, obviously, it's something that I, I want to do uh, because because I've, I put my hat in the ring, and, and if the voters will allow me, I would love to serve them in Washington. Um, I think term limits are an amazing thing, and I'm, I'm happy that my time here is uh, it's bittersweet that it's ending, but we've got some good work done. So eight years is a great amount of time to, to put some work here in the state capitol, but I'd love to bring that to the, uh, the, the, the nation's capital and, and get some good things done for my district. Yeah, the district is wide open because Congressman Rooney is uh, stepping down. Well, not stepping down. He's just saying I'm not going to run again. Yeah. What sets you apart from the other? I think there are, what, eight Republicans? In the there race are eight now? Republicans. You're right. So it's a little bit crowded. Uh, I got in first. It was something, uh, once I once I had that discussion with my wife, we knew it was something that we wanted to do and had something to, to, to give back to our community. So I was gung-ho and jumped in right away. So that gave us a good head start. But beyond that, having been born and raised there, I understand the district better than anybody. Uh, I learned to fish in those waters, drive on those streets. The water, frankly, has been flowing through my veins since uh, I was in the womb. And that is a very important issue back there, having uh, clean, clean water. Uh, and the environment is very is very important. Uh, but beyond that, I've got a voting record that's proven, and I think that our, our district can look to that. This will be our fifth congressman, by the way, in CD19 that we've had since 2012, uh, which is a lot of turnover. And I think they're looking for some stability, and I can offer that through through uh, through my tenure in the in the legislature and the voting record to boot. Now, going over your website for the campaign, I noticed you're very pro-Trump. Uh, is there anything the president has done that you think he went too far on, or are you okay with everything he's done so far? No, I'm okay. <laughs> he's done a great job. Look, I mean, sometimes any of us could look at some of his tweets and say, oh, man, why is he tweeting that? But that is also what people love about him. He's able just to say what he's thinking, and he's not hes not afraid to say it. And that's important. I think people need that more. They're, they're, they're sick and tired of the polished politicians who they don't know what they stand for. You you don't question what President Trump stands for. He's quick to say it, and he's quick to do it, by the way, too. He's got He, he, he puts uh, action behind the words. Um, I think when the voters go to the polls uh, this, uh, this this year in 2020, they care about two very two very important things to them, their pocketbook and their national security, their, their safety. Those two things are very strong. And for that reason alone, President Trump's getting it done. And I think he'll have overwhelming, overwhelming support. Does the truth matter at all? I mean, we're up to more than 16,000 lies, misstatements or falsehoods documented over the Trump administration. At what point do you say enough is enough? We, we need someone who actually talks honestly, not just someone who says what they feel. Yeah, and I'll have to look at that. The truth matters for certain. I, I, obviously, you've got to be an honest broker, but I, I, I haven't seen that and I haven't seen that record. But I think he says what needs to be said, uh, and, and I commend him for that. You, 
don't know about the misstatements and the, the falsehoods? I haven't seen that, that not, not that particular one that you're referring to. No, not the 1,600. Maybe I can go through the list. 16,000. 16,000. Okay. Well, I'll look at that, but okay. no, I haven't seen it. What, what do you think sets Trump apart from all the other potentials that are out there? I think just exactly what I just said. He's willing to say what needs to be said and then back it up by actually doing it. A lot of people haven't been able to do that. Simple things like moving the embassy to Jerusalem. I mean, that, that is one thing that every president, as long as I can remember, has said they would do. And it finally happened under President Trump. He's not afraid to get things done. Uh, the Trump tax cuts have been a wonderful uh, spur for our economy. We haven't seen Trump or any, any tax cuts in quite a long time. And he was able to step in and get something done. And now our economy is, is booming. Uh, our unemployment rate is the lowest I've ever seen. Our growth rate, job growth rate. It's it's it's. This is a country that people are, are proud to be in and proud to invest money in. Uh, and and I can't see anything that uh, that that would um, stop that re-election from happening. Quite frankly. One thing I like to ask everyone I talk to is, do you have any secret talents or hidden hops, something that people should know about that, that is not usual for a long time? You, you know, I get that asked a lot, and I've always got to think. I'm like, man, I'm maybe not that special at all. Um, no real secret talents. I, I just I, I love the life that I live. I love uh, spending time with my family, and uh, I do CrossFit. That's some you know the crazy cult of going to the, the, to the gym and throwing weight around and talking about it all day long. So I'll refrain from talking about it further, but it is something that I enjoy doing in my, in my free time. That was my next question. If, if you have a day off with absolutely nothing on the schedule, what does Dane Eagle do? Oh, man, I'd say if, if, if I wasn't campaigning or doing the work that I'm doing up here, then my, my real full-time job of uh, selling real estate back home, probably wake up, go to the gym, and head to the beach, get on the boat. Gotcha. Our guest today has been Representative Dane Eagle, Majority Leader of the Florida House of Representatives. Thanks for joining us. Good to be with you, Rick. Thank you. Your calendar of events today? Well, the House Pre-K-12 Appropriations Subcommittee meets from 8.30 until 10. But every other House meeting has been canceled, and the floor session that had been scheduled for 1 p.m. has also been canceled. There is nothing scheduled today in the state Senate. The Florida Board of Psychology meets at 8 a.m. in the Hilton Tampa Airport West Shore. The Florida Commission on Ethics meets at 8.30 in Tallahassee. The Florida Board of Dentistry holds a conference call at 9. The Florida Department of Economic Opportunity will release the December unemployment numbers at 10 this morning. Trustees at the Florida School for the Deaf and Blind will be meeting at 10.30 in St. Augustine. And the Florida Conference of Black State Legislators, along with the Florida Legislative Black Caucus, are hosting their annual Kershaw Cherry Legislative Luncheon at the Tallahassee Civic Center today. Lieutenant General Gwendolyn Bingham, who retired from the Army after 30 years, is the keynote speaker. Then at 8 this evening, there's the annual Scholarship Gala Celebration at the Civic Center. This year's theme is Harlem Nights. And it's time once again for the continuing adventures of Florida Man, the automotive edition. A Florida man is accused of carjacking a Mercedes with a cigarette lighter. The driver said he was stopped in West Palm Beach when a man wearing a hooded sweatshirt flashed a black firearm and ordered him to give up the vehicle. 25-year-old Abraham Miller was arrested in the stolen car and told officers he used a metal replica that looks like a gun but works like a lighter. Miller is charged with carjacking, fleeing from police, and driving on a suspended license. And a Florida man who insisted he only had one beer is charged with driving under the influence. Police say 51-year-old Jeffrey Allen Bowman of Lady Lake was pulled over after a witness called police to report he was drunk driving. Bowman told the officer he only had that single beer, but it took him four blocks to pull over. His speech was slurred. He had trouble standing up, refused to take a field sobriety test, and the arresting officer says Bowman pooped his pants. That's it for this edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again Monday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. Music